You are the Prince of Peace, and I will live my life for you. My work here is done. (laughs) It is good to see you this morning. You're so glad that you're here. I want to jump right in this morning with a story. Maybe some of you have heard it. A young Indian chief takes over leadership of the tribe from his father. His father's been the leader for a long time. Um, the tribe comes to this young chief about fall of the year and said, do we have enough wood cut and stacked for the winter to follow? Now, the young chief's father was able to look at nature and you know, the thickness of the moss on the rocks and the thickness of the density of the, you know, the, 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 the fur on the animals. And he could tell what the winter was going to be like. But the young guy didn't know anything about those things. But he didn't want to look like he wasn't qualified. So he said, I'm going to think about this and consult nature. And I'll get back to you. So he went and called the National Weather Service and said, are you predicting a cold winter this winter? And the Weather Service told him, actually, it's going to be a normal winter this year. So he went back to the tribe and said, I've studied the signs. And and I think we probably have gathered enough wood for the winter. I think we're okay." The next morning, he called the weather service again and said, I just want to be sure you're predicting a normal winter, right? And he was told, actually, we've changed our projections. We think it's going to be a colder than normal winter this year. Great. So he goes back to the tribe, tells them, you know, I've, I've consulted the signs again, and I think we need to gather more wood. I think it's going to be colder than I thought it was going to be. So let's go get more wood. So the tribe goes out, and they're gathering more wood. The next day, he calls again says, don't want to be a bother. I just really need to know, are you sure this is going to be a cold winter? Say, well, we have revised our projection again. It's going to be a bitter cold winter. It's going to be a record cold. So it goes back to the tribe. Listen, it is going to be brutal this winter. We've got to get all the wood we can. Everyone cut wood, stack wood. We've got to be ready. So the tribe goes out and they're gathering every piece of wood they can find. He makes one last call to the weather service. Are you still sure it's going to be a bitter cold weather? Absolutely. It's going to break records. Our most accurate predictor says it's going to be one of the coldest records, the coldest winters on record. The young guy thinks, well, I can learn something here. What exactly is your most accurate predictor? He said, it's the Indian tribe. They're gathering wood like crazy. I tell you that story to ask this question. Who are you listening to? Where are you getting your information from? Is it someone that knows what they're talking about? Or is it someone who just thinks maybe they know what they're talking about? Not only who are you listening to, but also how carefully are you listening? It's like the two guys from Mississippi who met on the street one day. One of them's carrying a burlap sack. His friend said, Tommy Ray, what you got in that sack? So he's got some chickens in here. He said, if I guess how many chickens are in that sack, can I have one of them? Tommy Ray said, if you guess how many chickens are in this sack, you can have both of them. <laughs> His friend said, okay, five. <laughs> how carefully are we listening? We spent the last two weeks talking about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about the fact that Saul's opinion of Jesus as he went towards the city of Damascus was not just 
a dislike of Jesus. It wasn't just that he opposed Jesus. He actually was violently and actively persecuting anyone who believed in Jesus. In fact, that's why he was going to Damascus, if you remember, to arrest people who belonged to the way, who were following Jesus. If you took anything at all out of that ninth chapter of Acts, I hope your takeaway was, no matter how far someone might seem to be from Jesus, God can always get their attention. And God can save that person, and God can use that person. Now, in Acts chapter 10, we are going to meet a guy by the name of Cornelius, who really has very little in common with Saul of Tarsus from chapter 9. As far from Jesus as Saul seemed to be at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, Cornelius seems to be just that close. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. I told you last week, chapter 9 was a chapter of surprises. Well, chapter 10 is a chapter of visions. Let's take a look at the text. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Okay, right off the bat, we learned some things about this man, Cornelius. He's a military man. Not just a military man, he's a centurion in the Italian regiment. He had a hundred men underneath him. He was a man of authority. He was respected. But he also seems to be a pretty good guy. He's devout. He's God-fearing. He gives generously to people who have less than he does. He prays to God regularly. He seems to be like everything that God might be looking for in a person, with one exception. He's a Gentile. He is not a Jewish man. He can't trace his ancestry back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And yet this Gentile is going to have a vision in Acts chapter 10. Verse 3. One day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Told you. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. This angel shows up and tells Cornelius, God is aware of you. God has heard your prayers. God has seen your gifts to the poor. God knows everything about you. He knows that that you're looking for him. Let me step sideways for just a minute and compare Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 9, as that chapter opens, Saul is a man who desperately needs Jesus. We get that. Now, he loved God, and he had a zeal for God, as misdirected as it was. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but he desperately needed Jesus. But he didn't want Jesus. And I think we all know people like that, right? You look at someone, you say, man, that person just really needs Jesus. But it's thanks, but no thanks. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And the person of Cornelius, 
you have just the opposite. He's a great guy. Godly man. Devout man. Gives to the poor. Praise to God. If Saul is the guy who needs Jesus but doesn't want him, then Cornelius is the guy who desperately wants Jesus. But does he really need him? I mean, does a religious guy like Cornelius, does a good guy, great neighbor, respected man, does someone like that really need Jesus? Yeah, we're going to see in chapter 10 that someone like that absolutely needs Jesus. God knows that. And God's going to do something about it. I'm sure probably all of us in this room over the years have gotten um, sweepstakes kinds of things in the mail, Publisher's Clearinghouse, that kind of thing. And you know, when you get those, the envelope, the way they print it and the way they promote it, it looks like you've won, right? <laughs> hey, I, I think I've won something here. And when you open it up and start reading it, it's like, I, I, I think I won. Several years ago, Publisher's Clearinghouse uh, got their mailing address mixed up a little bit, and they sent a, a statement, a clearinghouse letter to uh, the, the uh, Church of God in Bushnell, Florida. And the computers switched the uh, name and the address around, and they sent the letter to God of Bushnell to the church's address. And when the church secretary opened the letter, it said, Dear God, we're searching for you. You have been positively identified as our $11 million mystery millionaire. And the letter went on to say, imagine the looks you'll get, God, when you cash that check. But don't just sit there, God. Come forward. Don't just sit there, God. Come forward. In Acts chapter 10, one more time, God is going to come forward. And he is going to come forward with power. And God's going to let Cornelius know that being a great guy, being a man of integrity, being an important person, being, being a good neighbor, being a, a giver of, you know, to the poor, even being a prayer warrior. Those are all wonderful things. But they won't save your soul. You're going to need Jesus. And you're going to need the gift that Jesus offers. So Cornelius had a vision. He's told to send some people to Joppa. Bring back a man by the name of Peter. He's even told where Peter would be. And Cornelius, this God-fearing man, does exactly what he was told to do. He sends some people to uh, look for Peter and to bring him back. I mentioned that this was a chapter of visions. It just so happens in the 10th chapter of Acts, Peter had his own vision. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So in Peter's vision, he sees something that looks like a sheet being let down. Inside the sheet are all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. 
And Peter hears God say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, when Cornelius' name was called, he answered and listened. When Peter's name is called, he answered and argued. Just like Peter, right? Get up, kill, eat. Peter says, surely not, Lord. Did Peter just tell God no? He did, didn't he? In fact, one translation says, no, Lord. Peter, do you want to rethink your response here? Get up, kill, eat. No, Lord. Peter, get up, kill, eat. Absolutely not. We're told that it happened three times. I think three times. Peter told God, no. I'm not going to do it. Now, before we come down too hard on Peter... Remember that back in the book of Leviticus, God gave very specific instructions about what Jewish people could and couldn't eat. And they were not permitted to eat anything deemed unclean. And Peter says, I've never in my life eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to start now. But what an odd vision for Peter. Wasn't it? I mean, we know the rest of the story, so we sort of get it. But Peter doesn't know the rest of the story. He doesn't know what's gone on before. He doesn't know who's, who's on his way to the house. He doesn't know anything about a guy named Cornelius at this point. What an odd vision. Didn't make sense to Peter. One translation says he was perplexed as he pondered what this might mean. What is God trying to tell me? And as he's pondering this, there comes a knock downstairs. Three men sent by Cornelius. The Spirit told Peter, go with these men. I've sent them. So Peter goes downstairs. Are you Peter? I am Peter, he said. We want you to come with us. A man by the name of Cornelius sent us. Okay. He's a good man. He's a God-fearing man. And oh, by the way, he's a Gentile. And I think that it's right about here that Peter starts to connect some dots. I think a light bulb starts to come on for Peter regarding the the, uh, vision that he had. God's changing the rules. If God says, I can eat it, I can eat it. If God says it's acceptable, it's acceptable. Regardless of what I've been told, regardless of what I've always believed, when God says, go to the home of a Gentile, I think I'll go to the home of a Gentile. Peter had a vision, heard a voice. God spoke his name. And what God's voice said was, you listen to me. You don't listen to anyone else. You listen to me. If I say it's clean, it's clean. If I say it's acceptable, it's acceptable. If I say the rules have changed, the rules have changed. I don't know about you. I am not a person who loves change. I just don't. My family makes fun of me because when I go to a restaurant, I always eat the same thing at that restaurant because I know what I like. And I'm afraid if I change and try something new, I won't like it, then I'll have wasted that money. I don't like change. I can't sleep on the right side of the bed. I have used Crest toothpaste since my very first tooth. 
I don't like to change. I'm kind of like the two snails that are riding on the back of the turtle. You know the two snails say, talking to each other? One said, wee! The second said, slow down! I'm that snail going, slow down! No, I don't like to change. It's hard for me to change. I think sometimes it's hard for churches to change. We get so used to doing something. We get so comfortable doing something in a certain way that we just don't want to change. And then before long, we get to a point where we say, well, we can't change. And that's not too far from. It would be wrong to change. But listen, Christianity involves change. Listen, we are commanded to change. When you read scripture and you read things like add to your faith, that's changing. Grow, that's change. Mature, you got to change. Be transformed, yeah, that's change. So, if God says something's clean, it's clean. If God says someone is accepted, they are accepted. If God says someone belongs, they belong. If God says, I'm changing the rules, the rules are changed. Who are we going to listen to and how carefully are we going to listen? So, Peter does what he's told to do. He goes to the home of this Gentile. And this Gentile soldier and this Jewish fisherman begin to speak. And it's interesting, Peter doesn't take Cornelius back to the book of Leviticus. He doesn't talk about Abraham, Moses, or King David. He starts talking to them about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I want you to use your imagination for just a minute. Verse 24 tells us that Cornelius had called together his relatives and close friends to meet Peter. Imagine you are a relative of Cornelius. He's your uncle. And he's an important guy in the family, and he's asked you to come to his house. And, you know, when Uncle Cornelius asks, most people do what he says. So you show up at his house because... Your uncle told you that someone's going to be coming that he really wants you to hear what this man has to say. So you and some relatives are there and some of your uncle's friends are there. And you see out the door, there's a Jewish man approaching the house. And Uncle Cornelius and this Jewish man stop and they speak. And now this Jewish man is walking into the house. And that has never happened before. There has never been a Jewish man in this house. Not a devout Jew, at least. And that's no knock on Uncle Cornelius. That's because a devout Jew would never enter the home of a Gentile. It would have been beneath them. But Peter enters the room. This Jewish man enters the room. against you know, a lot of commotion. But now Peter walks in and he's standing not three feet from where you're sitting on the floor. And the room gets quiet. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. And this guy, Peter, this Jewish man, bows his head and he closes his eyes. And you're wondering, what's he doing? Is he he praying? Is he trying to think of what he should say? Does he not know what to do? Does he not know what to say? No, we came to listen to this guy. And then Peter raises his head and opens his eyes. And he looks around the room. And he smiles. And you smile back. And then Peter says this. I now realize how true it is 
that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You hear Peter say that, through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, and for a moment you can't hear anything else. Did he just say, Jesus Christ is Lord of all? Is this this Jewish guy, is he suggesting that his Lord could be my Lord? Is he suggesting that the Savior of the Jews could also be the Savior of us Gentiles? Now, I've heard of Jesus of Nazareth. I've heard of the miracles that he did. But it has never occurred to me that Jesus could be my Lord as well. And then you hear Peter say, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Imagine hearing that for the very first time. Imagine that light bulb coming on in your mind. Peter had a vision. The vision made it clear. I decide what's right and wrong. You listen to my voice, Peter. If I decide that the doors to the kingdom are wide open, then the doors to the kingdom are wide open. Well, I said this chapter had several visions. Cornelius had a vision. Peter had a vision. Who else had a vision in Acts chapter 10? I'm convinced God had a vision. Or at least in Acts chapter 10, He lets us in on His vision. He gives us a glimpse of His vision. And I think God's vision in Acts chapter 10 is a vision of me with Him now and forever. I think it's the same vision that God has always had. There's a banquet table and I'm the guy pulling up a chair. There's a shepherd and I'm the sheep that he's carrying. It's a street of gold and I'm the guy sitting on the curb. It has always been God's desire for all men everywhere to come to repentance, to have a relationship with him. To hear the good news. That's God's vision. The good news of Jesus is for every single person. Scripture tells us that while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household. Those Jewish people who were with Peter said were astounded at this. But if you read the text, it doesn't say Peter was astounded. Peter had seen this before. Back in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, he saw the Holy Spirit poured out in the same way. In fact, he was one of the recipients, he and the other apostles on that day of that power. And this measure of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10 is for the exact same purpose as Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is confirming the word and the Holy Spirit is confirming the plan. The Holy Spirit is confirming that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor. Galatians 3.28, Paul would write, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are a child of God. 
Listen to what else Peter has to say to Cornelius in his household. Verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. When you're telling your story, don't forget the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter said, can anyone object to these people being baptized? Now, a lot of people did object. <laughs> a whole lot of people did object to Gentiles being uh, welcomed into the kingdom. But Peter doesn't back up. And God doesn't back down. Cornelius had a vision. I know you've been searching for me, Cornelius. I've been searching for you too. Peter had a vision. If I make something clean, it's clean. If I change the rules, the rules are changed. You listen to me and no one else. God had a vision. Me, with him, now and forever. An opportunity for someone like me to have a loving relationship with someone like him. heard about a sociologist who was writing a book about the special challenges of, of growing up in a, a really large family. And he was interviewing a woman who had given birth to 13 children. And he asked this woman, do you believe that every single child is deserving and needs the special love and special attention and, and special warmth of a mother? She said, absolutely. So trying to trick her a little bit, he said, well, tell me, which of your 13 children do you love the most? And she thought about that for a minute and said, well, it would be the one who's sick until he gets well. Or it would be the one who's away until she comes home. You look at the conversion stories in the book of Acts. It is impossible to come away without getting a sense of God's love. Uh, God's love for a guy like the Ethiopian eunuch, who really knew very little about him. Really, really nothing. His love for a Christian terrorist named Saul, who was so far down the wrong path that conventional wisdom would say, pick someone else, anyone else. His love for a guy named Cornelius, who was so close and still so far away. Why did he do it? Now, the answer is love. It's not the logical answer, but it's the only answer that works. It's the only answer that makes sense. A guy by the name of Bob Benson wrote a book in which he tells a story that a lot of us can relate to, those of us who are a little bit older at least. He writes about his oldest son, son named Mike, oldest of five children who was leaving to go away to college. And he thought he and his wife were prepared for the moment when their son would be leaving. 
but it was a little more difficult than he imagined. Here's what he wrote. As we stood in the front lawn and waved goodbye to our son driving away, we were happy for him and, and proud of him. But our hearts were filled with memories from tricycles to commencements, playing catch in the backyard and conversations around the dinner table. And we just ached with loneliness and pain. And somebody said, you still have four kids at home, four fine kids, and there's still plenty of noise and plenty of ball games to go to, plenty of responsibilities, plenty of laughter, plenty of everything. And they were right. We did have plenty of everything, except Mike. And in parental math, five minus one does not equal plenty. And then he wrote this. I thought about God. He sure has plenty of children. Plenty of artists, plenty of singers and carpenters and accountants and preachers. Plenty of everybody. Except you. And all of them together can never take your place. And there will always be an empty spot in his heart. And an empty seat at his table. When you're not home. This morning, let me close by sharing with you the same message that Peter shared with Cornelius and his household. Acts chapter 10, verse 36. I'm going to ask you to stand uh, for this verse. This is a powerful verse. And to show respect for the truth in the verse, we're going to stand. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is, say it with me, Lord of all. Okay, that's pretty good, but that's not great. One more time. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Who is Lord of all? Not Lord of the Jews, not Lord of the Gentiles. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Not Lord of the black or Lord of the white or Lord of the brown. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Not Lord of the rich. Not Lord of the poor. Not Lord of the educated. Not Lord of the ignorant. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Thank you. The only question that remains is, is He your Lord? Is He your Lord? He desperately desperately wants to be your Lord. He has done everything He can do to make that happen. He has called you. He has claimed you. He has died for you. But the decision is yours. Today, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? As a church family, we'd love to pray with you or for you. Anything that we can do to help minister to you. Orlando's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. Orlando.